This is the Biblical Mind Podcast, produced by the Center for Hebraic Thought. Honest five-star reviews help others find this podcast. Visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org for articles and videos that explore the deep structures of Scripture. Saber in Scripture is a book that I just felt like God put on my heart and said, Andy, I, I want you to write this book. Mm. Um, you know, th- there I, I have things like you, you know, that will keep us busy for the next decade. And um, just some things fell into place in my own heart, my own life, and in the classroom that was like, you know, this Savior in Scripture um, is really driven by this aim to offer a holistic vision of interpreting the Bible that benefits kind of from the grammatical Mm -hmm. historical approach, but also from um, the best of biblical theology and um, spiritual Mm -hmm. disciplines. And, and, and I was compelled to try to write it in a way that would be accessible to actually those Facebook friends out there who, who, if they bought anything else I've written would be like, Oh, I can't understand this or this isn't for me, but, but this is the book, a book that I actually felt um, like I want to get it out there. But on the other hand, I, I feel like I'm at a point now where I've kind of reached the edges of my own community. I've made the push and now it's a matter of mm-hmm. other people taking it from here. So I'm grateful for you to give me a chance to be on the biblical mind. Oh, it's, no, it. it's great. And one of the things that I loved about um, each chapter, you know, A, I wasn't exactly sure how you were going to start each chapter because you varied it a little bit, but you also often yeah. admit your own exegetical mistakes, uh, which I think is very refreshing. You know, I used to, I, I try to do this in class as well. Yeah, I used to actually approach this text this way. And then someone had to pull me aside and say, you know, that's not what's going on in that text, right? Um <laughs> I wonder, because you have uh, mostly undergrads, I, I guess, in a kind of big sections on Bible, what are, you know, what are the kinds of things that you're, the kinds of mistakes they're making or the assumptions they're making that made you write a book like this? It's very accessible, very easy to understand, but also point very, very uh, carefully trying to point them in a better path rather than a worse one, if we could say it that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The great question, Drew, and there's a few things, and I'd love to hear if you're seeing the same things. I think initially, like, so I teach Old Testament literature class, which is yep. just like general survey of the Old Testament, and you're trying to give them interpretation skills in the process. And by and large, um, students giggle when I say this, I, but I usually say, for most of you reading the Bible, is like it's like using a Ouija mm-hmm. board. You kind of hover over a biblical text, and you almost have your mind switched off it, because you want it to be a spiritual moment. That all of a sudden, if something jumps out at you, kind of like when you hover the Ouija board. I've never actually used Ouija <laughs> to be board, clear, <laughs> but I've, I've I've seen movies like yeah. where it's used. So, um, it, you know, so. So, so I think for, for my students, just this simple switch of like, you know, God was actually writing in with a flow of thought and like ways that normal people could understand. It wasn't like an alternative 
reading strategy he was using for his people. It, it was he was writing in ways that would have been understandable. So you can actually switch your brains on here. Um, but then, so, so so there's that. But I would also say that even that direction can be dangerous because it's like, oh, we're going to read the Bible just like any other mm-hmm. ancient book. We're going to try to read it according to a genre and original context. And, and as you head down that pathway, then there's a recalibration that needs to happen because all of a sudden you realize, okay, I'm getting really good at understanding what a passage might have meant in its original historical context. But all of a sudden the Bible is really distant from your mm-hmm. own personal life. You're just reading the text to try to understand it, not so much to meet with the God of the text. And so there's also correction happening at that direction, too, of like, okay, so we have our brain switched on. We're reading it more thoughtfully in light of its original context. But then how do we kind of, not in a kind of simplistic, how does this apply to us, but how do you meet with and and listen to and respond to the living God who's speaking to you through what these passages are saying uh, today. So, Mm. so those are some of the um, kind of correcting points. Um, But but, uh, I'll throw one final thing out here, Drew. And one of the things I like to stress to my students is uh, on however we talk about reading the Bible we don't want to get in a mindset that like no one else, uh, unless you've been trained in the Western Academy can be hearing from God, right? (laughs) Right? Like if you, if you don't know the grammatical historical approach, or if you don't know this sort of ancient cultural background, therefore that means that you've never understood the Bible before. God and his grace like just meets us where we're at, even in those like weird interpretations that you're like embarrassed of like advocating when you were this zealous believer. Because I look back when I was just first starting to read the Bible, I believe I was genuinely encountering Mm God. I I believe God was even meeting me in my foolishness. Even some of those examples I give in savoring scripture, um, he, he was willing to work with me and, um, but but I think even in that, I think even, and you've seen this, I see this in global contexts where the Lord is meeting with them through scripture, but there's also this hunger that like, but I feel so lost when I read scriptures. I have mm-hmm. no clue what I'm reading. Um, I, I think there's a need for that that training. Yeah, I always used the the old ladies at my church when I was a, a pastor who knew the Bible way better than I did after I had an MDiv, uh, uh, you know, master's yeah, degree yeah. in it. Um, they just knew it because they'd been around it a long time, and they kind of knew its flow yeah. of thinking. And they tell me when things I said smelled funny, even if they couldn't tell me exactly what was wrong. Yeah. They'd say that kind of that doesn't smell right. Something's not right. Uh, yeah, and I love yes. those people because they really held me to account. You know, as a young pastor who yeah. wanted to show my new tricks. And, you know, I, I also co-host another podcast where we talk to scholars that's quite nerdy. Uh, and I do yeah. v- get very nervous sometimes when you hear people almost suggesting like, well, until we discovered this 
idea in the 19th century, nobody really understood this biblical text. And I'm like, that, that yeah. just can't be true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, and I think that one category that I've, I've found really helpful, Drew, um, is the distinction between like knowing God or, or knowing a, what a passage says fully versus knowing hmm. it truly. Right, like, like I think there can be this true knowledge of God through the Scripture, but it doesn't mean you've exhausted what that passage is yeah. trying to say. And and I I've been struck even recently. I've been reading a lot of uh, mm-hmm. Saint Augustine has this um, kind of letter. I mean, everything he wrote uh, they wrote back then were kind of like letters, but they're books book length. Um, uh, where he's kind of saying, here's the guidance for how to instruct the uncatechized for those who haven't been instructed. And, and then also on his, in his book on Christian doctrine, and, and he spends a significant amount of time trying to help people under, try to understand what an author mm. is trying to say. You know, it wasn't just this dismissal of kind of a plain sense reading. Um, that, that's been part of the equation uh, all, all along. Um, but, I think in the recent, with all the archaeological discoveries we have had over the last hundred plus years, are we have truly enriched right. our understanding of scriptures in remarkable yeah. ways? But we don't want to make it a zero sum game of everything that was going right. on before these discoveries. And on the flip side, maybe we. Um, though we've strengthened our historical uh, and linguistic side of things, maybe our um, our ability to be in tune with the God of the scriptures has maybe fallen off and we, we, we can learn from the old grandmas in the pew. Well, the cultural knowledge, and, right? Because some of those grandmas, yeah, I mean, yeah. this is 20 years ago, but I mean, some of them were raised on farms in Iowa that did not have running water yeah. and they worked fields for, yeah. you know, as children yeah. and beyond. And even yeah. when I was teaching farmers in, in Kenya, um, hermeneutics, I remember them trying to get me to tell them what certain parables meant. And I had to stop myself and go, well, wait a second. <laughs> you actually are agrarian subsistence farmers. You tell me what you think it means. And then they started illuminating yeah, the text yeah, in ways yeah. that I would have never understood yeah. before. That's a great point. Great um, point. Which you, you have a quote in here. This is, um, let me see if I can find it really quickly. You have lots of quotes in here. It's a whole book of quotes. Um, but from Danny Carroll, who's an Old Testament scholar who we've had on this podcast as well. Yeah. Uh, he says, quote, I don't know how anybody can possibly read Ruth or Esther and not think about immigration. And then you have another one from Charlie Dates, an African-American pastor, who says, we, the black church, are far more conservative and orthodox theologically than the white church. But when people see us involved in social issues, they assume that we're liberal theologically. Here's the thing, Andy. This is him talking to you. We haven't had the luxury of separating our pursuit of pure doctrine from the urgent need for social action. And I I really like this chapter in particular because I think it's hard for a lot of, especially evangelicals who have very black and white categories sometimes of interpretation, for them to hear that. uh, And you very delicately kind of walk people into that uh, that people are practicing, um, people who don't have the luxury of sitting outside certain social issues actually have something to teach us about what's going on in Scripture. 
Yeah, yeah, I, 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 that, that's great. Yeah, the, so that comes from my first step, which talks about our posture that we come to Scripture with. And and if we come to studying Scripture with this sort of childlike, humble posture, I think one of those, by extension, would be, well, let me benefit from my brothers and sisters. Let, let me benefit from mm-hmm. my family. Let, let me benefit from the insights of others. Because we often get so territorial and feel like mm-hmm. our way of seeing things is, is the only way. But once we kind of, if you will, uh, read scripture with the posture of, of an open heart. It's no longer like, let me defend my turf, but like, I just want to like glean as much as I can from, from others. And, and, um, because Danny has, uh, Danny's one of my colleagues, uh, here at Wheaton, he's half Guatemalan and has just been involved in immigration issues. Like, and here I am, this kid from the suburbs of Indianapolis who, hasn't lived that i've taught ruth for years and until he said that i I was like bro like i (laughs) i've been missing a lot here in this story about what the experience of immigration is contributing to the book of ruth or um you know and, and with charlie um I, I, I'm grateful to God for gentle brothers like him who have kind of helped me um, grow and see a more full, well-orbed view of Scripture, uh, where, where we tend to kind of focus and center on particular things just given mm-hmm. our context. But what's fallen to the background? What, what, what's not been if you will, activate it in terms of the vision scripture is giving me uh, because of my own uh, blind spots. So I, I think having mm-hmm. that posture, um, yeah, can be really, really yeah, important. I thought that was great that you come out of the gates with this posture and the family. And I'm, if, if you were to ask me what I see in the church and in my classroom, one of the major problems, everybody wants to read the text as an individual and they want to dominate it. They want to they want to understand it fully yeah. And, yeah. and be able to say exactly what it says and not submit to it. And um, and so that idea of communal reading and listening to others and how they're reading it, it's a tricky one. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, also for many white evangelicals, the idea of communal reading means going to a Bible study where everybody says how they feel about the text, right? That's what they think, right? <laughs> and so it's hard for them to like separate out like, oh, no, this is actually another viewpoint that I absolutely must listen to, that I need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's that's good. And I, I think there's a sense that as I've engaged with people who've read my book, one of the surprising responses people found is like, people, like you're saying, I think it a little bit like, they know that like this sort of like, oh, what do you think? What do you think? And like where everyone's views are like, right. oh, yeah. Where you affirm you know, everything and say actually, nothing. Actually, there's... Yeah. There are some things that like actually help us understand this this passage more, and then other things that don't. But one of the things that I have did not anticipate from uh, a number of people who who had been raised and trained in environments where mastery mm. was the goal, they have felt paralyzed. Mm because they were just like, but I'm not going to get it right. Am I getting this right? Or am I getting this wrong? And, you know, I, I think 
by starting with the aim of posture to meet with God and where we humbly come recognizing maybe I might have a limited perspective here, but I can still have some tools that are going to help me um, that, that God can work with as, as I'm trying to read the scriptures. Um, they found it really freeing, mm. which has been an unexpected uh, encouragement. I think, yeah, because one of my colleagues at, at my book launch, Aubrey mm. Buster, kind of went through a bunch of um, uh, kind of biblical interpretation hermeneutics books. And the first step and the goal is always like had these words like mastery, <laughs> analyze, yeah, you uh, know, so true, like, so true. T- exhaustively right, examine, right. list you know, out every single text. question you can think of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and she said, well, you know, how do we cultivate? Um, a posture of childlikeness is <laughs> just such a different starting point, but but I think it makes a big difference. Yeah, I, I had not thought about the issue of mastery, but I see, I definitely see that with my students. With I, I want to write, I, and I spend the first six weeks doing therapy in, in class, usually saying. We're not trying to get the right interpretation. We're trying to get better ones rather than worse ones and thinking about what makes for a yeah, better one yeah. and what makes for a worse one. Um, yeah, that's good. The, I think the other thing that uh, we run into that your book is kind of fighting against is the tendency to kind of engage scripture very shallow. Or, I mean, you said that kind of Ouija, and I thought I asked in class because a, a student casually mentioned that they read scripture every morning, but they just let it fall open to any page, like a Bible roulette. Um, and that's where they read for the day. And they'll say they read a few paragraphs or maybe a chapter. And I was, I was a little horrified. Uh, and then I said, does anybody else do this? And about half the class uh, raised their hand. Right. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I thought, okay, wow, that's, that's, that's pretty horrible. Um, as a regular yeah. practice, I should say. Um, but yeah. um I wonder what you, if you see the same problem that I do, which is essentially students and, and basically this goes with the church as well. They just don't read long enough, right? They don't read, they don't read all of it. They don't read long enough. And a lot of what we're talking about is really long form readings, as they used to say, soaking in the text. Um, and I wonder how you bait your students into that more, that, I mean, the posture is the, is the right posture to enter the water, um, but how do you keep them in there? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question. I mean, um, there's like, how do you keep them in the water? Not simply with the Ouija <laughs> board approach, but I, I don't know about you, but like distraction of our brains is like a huge yeah. thing. Like, how do you, how do you not like, just get on Instagram or or I I want to say Facebook right, or right. Twitter, but my my students have taught me it's TikTok, Instagram yeah. or, or TikTok or something, um, you know, or just start daydreaming, you know, and like whoa yeah I'm reading the Bible here, you know, my brain has drifted off, and um, so so one of the things I do with my students is I will print out a hard copy mm-hmm. of a passage. Uh, so, for instance, last week we were looking at Second Samuel mm-hmm. seven, and I hand it out to them, and then I have them get out their pens, and some of them are, you know, have their little pencil kits with the different color markers in them, and 
uh, step two in, in the book is looking for the flow. And I find what when I have the students there identify subunits, mark all the, um, you know, repetition, and then come up with little titles for each mm. subunit, all of a sudden, by actively being engaged and touching, feeling the text, noticing things, having to articulate, their, their, their brains are able to focus. And a number of students have said, man, I've never read the Bible before in a way where I was actually able to stay like uh, mm. tuned in. And, um, and, and then all of a sudden, you're, as you're dwelling in the passage long enough and starting to get a feel for not just individual verses or one little thing that blipped up right. on the radar, although I'd say pay attention right. to those things that blip on the radar, um, you know, you're in the text enough where you're at a point then where you're starting to see what the passage is trying to communicate. And from there, um, really in my own devotional life, it's like that's when like the old Andy would have been like really satisfied with a, oh, I've arrived at a better interpretation here. I understand this right. passage more now. I'm like, hallelujah, this is great. But what's changed for me now is, is actually if jumping ahead to step five is then I take time to savor God through mm -hmm. that passage. And um, where I begin just like going back through the passage and like praying to God and praising him for who he's showing himself to be, inviting him to show me ways that um, he wants to connect this mm. to my own life. Um, but it kind of starts with that base of a stronger understanding. So, um, so what, another example of things I do in my class is what, once we get to the Psalms, I'll, I'll have the students kind of just around the room in different ways uh, where they're comfortable and able to kind of meet with the Lord. And I'll just go through Psalm by Psalm offering close readings of the passage, inviting them into it, and then leaving moments for pause and like kind of like mm -hmm. probing questions where they can engage with God in light of what's being said. And, and so I think kind of that modeling in the classroom of getting them involved in how to read, but then also helping, you know, you can't do right, that in right. class period because we have a lot of right. content yes. to cover in these survey yeah. courses. Um, you know, that begins to, to, um, work its way into their lives. And, and I, I must say, I use extra credit as incentive for that. I say, okay, we've talked about reading Psalms in light of their genre and flow. And it, okay. We've just practiced how to maybe pray these Psalms to God for the next 10 days. If you pray through one Psalm a day sequentially, you know, kind of like they Psalm 10 to 20 or whatever, or, or 11 to 20, you would, um, I, I want you to do that and then write a little reflection on how this went. Um, and, and I'll give you a little extra credit for it. And they're like, you're we're getting extra credit for meeting with God. This is pretty cool. So yeah, I, I totally game the system on extra credit too. I, I, I'll do things like, uh, I'll give you an entire letter grade up on your exam or whatever, which, you know, total course grade is like a half of a half of a percent or something. You know? yeah. They go for it. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I I give 0.67% of overall grade yeah. for extra credit. It's small. Yeah. But it, uh we'll it, see. yeah, so. they're they're little rabbit minds, you know, our 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 achievement minds yeah. kick in at that point and um yeah. no, that's yeah. that's a great that's a great way to think about it. I I do something similar in Leviticus typically where I it's so funny. It's Leviticus and I have them do a a week without screens. So no net Okay. No music. So they ride the subway to work uh, to to school here. Yeah. And that's the one that actually yeah. drives them crazy is they can't have music cuz they love constant noise. Yeah. Uh, uh constant yes. music. They want yes. a soundtrack going constantly. But um they 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 then have to report on it and it's it's funny how many of them you know, I directly connect it like we're talking about Leviticus, it's about your ritual lives, like how you structure your lives and your habits. Yes. And at the end of the week, yes. I'll still get students who will be like, this is stupid. I don't understand what this had anything to do with Leviticus. <laughs> like we didn't. <laughs> <They're not anything. laughs> yeah, there were no animals killed in this, yeah. you know. Okay, I get um, yeah. So, yeah. So you have this long form uh, of coming to, you know, maybe what we say is golden nuggets of understanding where we can finally see like, and again, I think for any, anybody, we, we would like to say you can read a passage and kind of figure out what's going on here with a little bit of discipline. Yeah. Um, I'm also seeing, I wonder how much you see this is just this issue of like low level literacy. They're coming in with, even if they're raised in the church, even if they read scripture every day of their life, they, they don't seem to actually know what all is going on in scripture or how it works together. And I'm finding more and more that actually don't understand basic concepts in scripture, like good, evil, um, you know, salvation, you know, they think salvation yeah. is about getting their yeah. soul into heaven basically. And they don't, they don't have a thought beyond yes. that. Um, what are you seeing? Yeah. This is basically a weather report between yeah. Wheaton and Kings, by the way. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I mean, I, I, I see, I mean, a number of students saying, I, I didn't know why we'd have to take an Old Testament class. Yes, have that too. Um, but, but they're glad they yeah. get it. Uh, they eventually end up glad. But one of the kind of, I, I have students at the end of the semester write a kind of summative reflection on kind of maybe a previous belief that's grown mm. or changed, how this class has impacted their life and kind of liberal arts, kind of how does this connect with your other mm. areas of study? And and a number of really astute students have observed that they have been raised in Christian homes even, maybe even Christian schools but the engagement with the Bible that they've had, say, in sermons has primarily been geared towards, let me give mm-hmm. you a map for how to live the Christian life and kind of picking a verse here or there. But they really, they say in their own words, but I really don't understand yeah. the scriptures, which is a, a striking thing. And I bet you say see the same thing. And so I actually find students I think when I came to Wheaton, I thought I'd have these students, even homeschool students or private school, like thinking they know everything. Actually, they come in pretty much aware mm. of how ignorant they are. That You don't right. have to humble them. Like you might in a right. New Testament class where a student feels like right. they know everything. Why do we have to study this? Um, and uh, pretty soon they're like, oh my goodness, these random stories I've heard actually fit into the bigger yeah. storyline. This... Um, so I'd say that, um, although there is a, 
a huge amount of illiteracy, I do see a genuine appreciation and a recognition for a need to do something about it. Um, the other thing I'd say in my my TA, actually, she she's a grad student here, Susan. She helped me understand this uh, in a way I hadn't thought about it before. I think the current generation right now is actually really well prepared for thinking about mm-hmm. context because like the last thing they want to do is misunderstand mm-hmm. someone else because you don't understand where they're coming from. Like that will get you canceled. <laughs> that will get you they're, like, they're a little bit told, too concerned uh, uh, in some cases. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, they yeah, are paralyzed exactly. and don't want to yeah. say anything. Yeah. Right. And so, so I think that, that like, I think intuitively, like, whereas maybe the fight, um, that we're exposed to probably when we're in seminary was, is there an actual meaning in this text? Should we pay attention to what an author is trying to say here? Nowadays, it's like, yeah, what's the (laughs) issue? Of course you're going to try to understand what the author is trying to say and understand that in its original context. And so I I think there's actually a lot to be built upon there with our students if they could kind of make that connection between this is something you already Mm -hmm. care about. And do you know that like, this can actually translate into um, reading uh, when you read the scriptures, you know, but, but that's the point. And Drew, I'm sure you see this. Like I have English literature majors who have never thought that their skills in close readings of texts can be applied to reading the Bible or kids who just swim in the waters right now of like listening to things in context, realize, Oh, you could do that with the Bible too, you know, and, and helping activate skills they already have to kind of that are actually position them pretty well um, to kind of develop more and more literacy. Funny you say that because I actually have an exercise in my hermeneutics class where I have them read a chapter from John Steinbeck and just kind of analyze it as a piece of literature. What's the story? Who are the characters? Yeah. What's going on? What's, you know, how do they bring, you know, there's a little parable in there. How's it used? And then I present them with a small, you know, basically a chapter of scripture and like, all right, let's use the same ones. And I'm not lying to you. Their mind oh, yeah. flips over into the, Oh, this is the Bible. Yeah. And they can't like even simple things like, who are the characters? What's the story flow? What's, you know, like it just shuts down. So it takes repetition yeah, yeah. Uh, of helping them to value. Yeah. And really, you're just saying the biblical authors could have said this however they want. This is how they chose to construct this, these stories and this yeah. legal reasoning and this poetry. And we're just valuing the way they chose to construct it. Thank God yes, John has yes. an epilogue where he like says this out loud, right? <laughs> I could have said this any way I wanted, yeah. but I said it this way, right? And you're like, so you can at least appeal to the Christians in the room through their guilt mechanism, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's 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 great. That, that, that sounds like a great exercise. I, I've often thought of how fun it would be to teach a like a book, a, a class on the book of Judges, oh, wow. and let's start with them reading like right. Lord of the Flies. <laughs> <laughs> and like just analyzing that and then like going yeah. to judges and like just seeing um this literary artistry and these overall points that are coming out huh. and um just to get um, the I have so, one last idea to yeah. throw past you to see if you're seeing the same thing or it's it's really just a it's a supposition that I'm, I may be half baked here 
is uh, I was reading on missiology recently and I got back into that kind of high orality versus low orality cultures. Mm-hmm. And I started to it just, cause my kids are all college age. Uh, they're, they're in college or mm-hmm. getting ready to be. Um, and it dawned on me that, you know, if you're spending most of your, like most of your leisure time in TikTok, YouTube, and uh, Instagram, they actually value the oral, the oral communication way over mm-hmm. textual communication. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. getting them to read yeah. text is kind of painful for many of them, although they do it. But, um, mm-hmm. um, and I wonder if we're, if we're seeing a shift where we, we all value uh, uh, low orality, that we want everything written, linear, accounted for, um, and they actually value mm-hmm. high orality, and that we're going to see a clash of that kind of um, educational system in, in the future here. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a really interesting point. And, and if we think of the higher orality, there's actually a performance right. element likely when they're hearing things read and to imagine, okay, what, what's the difference between how that those previous high orality cultures mm-hmm. saw these perform versus how they're seeing mm-hmm. them perform now in terms of the, on the screen. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think that that's uh, an interesting point. I mean, sometimes like, I don't know how you feel, when I hear scripture read out loud in, in our service, I, I go to an Anglican church and we have multiple readings. Sometimes I want to pull out the Bible <laughs> to be able to read along right. with because I'm not as good at like listening. But I found as I kind of allow myself to enter in and, and listen orally, um, it, it's yeah. something's happening there. Um, I, um so anyways, I, I'd be curious to see with this generation if they feel mm-hmm. that impulse to want to pull out a Bible when they're hearing it read at church or if they're like, no, I totally yeah. track with yeah. this. You know, there, there may be some real skills they bring um, on the oral side that, that maybe earlier generations didn't, haven't developed quite Yeah, as much. no, I can see that on the horizon. Um, every, I was going to ask you, what, what are you hopeful about, about this generation? But you've just given us a, a whole spate of things that you think are, it's good. It's great. Cause yeah. 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 I'm, I'm hopeful too, uh, Drew. Uh, one of the big things I'm really seeing with, with my students is a desire to integrate what Charlie dates was, oh, yeah. was talking about him uh, or which I mentioned in, in the book. And he, he wrote the Ford for the book too, which I was pumped about um, where I, I think that like just settling for reading scripture to establish kind of doctrines that help build fences and help you know if like you're mm-hmm. in or you're out or, or getting your ducks in a row theologically as important as those things will continue to be. I, I'm excited about this generation um, in the sense of the potential to want to intersect their faith yes. with lived yep. experience. Um I think there there's the danger for, for the next generation to actually let experience um, trump and get rid of anything script authority authoritative mm-hmm. about scripture. Um, but but on on the other hand, I, I think I mean uh, I, I've heard a number of people reflect on the Asbury revival of God's kind of gentleness and meeting with a generation right now that's mm-hmm. really hurt. 
And I wonder if that's going to be a really interesting mix of hearts that are humble and broken and in need of the Lord, and therefore rejoice in knowing the God through scriptures, but also want to be involved in the real issues of this world. And so I, I'm wondering if the church will be in a better spot um, of integrating kind of social action with, um, uh, I'm thinking of the evangelical yeah. church in particular with with evangelical beliefs uh, about the need for a, a savior for um, uh, for our sins and yeah. so forth. So, Full agree. I, um, yeah, I, I feel like this generation, yeah. my kids even, it, they're much more in tune with Jesus when he says, as often as you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me than, mm, than anything yeah. else. Um, yeah. May it, may it be. Um, yes. Well, Dr. Andrew Abernathy, uh, thank you. In the book we've been talking about, I don't think I've mentioned it. It's Savoring Scripture, A Six-Step Guide to Studying the Bible by uh, InterVarsity Press. Thank you for this book, your wisdom, um, your collegiality, all the things that you produce for both scholarship and the church. Uh, and thank you for your time. Yeah, Drew, great to be on with you. You've been listening to the Biblical Mind Podcast exploring the deep structures of Christian scripture. For more, visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org. Subscribe to this podcast at all the usual places so you never miss an episode. 